0: And welcome to the Travel Diaries podcast. I'm Holly Rubenstein. I'm a travel and entertainment journalist. And here each week, I'll be speaking to a very special guest about their adventures around the world and the travel experiences and destinations that have shaped their lives. On today's episode, I'm joined by Jackie Gifford, the editor-in-chief of America's biggest travel magazine, Travel and Leisure, or as they would say, Travel and Leisure. So, let me tell you a little bit first about why I was so excited when Jackie agreed to come on the podcast. I'm half American and every school holiday we'd fly to the US to visit my family in Miami, and on every trip I'd go with my parents to Barnes & Noble, which is a bookstore there, and I'd pick up the biggest pile of American magazines. There was just something so exotic, so exciting about how they looked and smelt. The covers were different, they were a different size, the ads were for things we couldn't get at home in England and I'd spend all my pocket money and read them by the pool. And one of the magazines that I'd always buy was Travel and Leisure. So it's one of the magazines that I've followed for the longest time given that I'm getting on a bit these days. And it always inspired me with its incredible covers and moving features and Jackie who's at the helm now will absolutely inspire you with this episode. It is chock full of travel inspo lots of destinations that haven't been talked about on the podcast before which I always love and Jackie herself has lived all around the world so she's a destination expert on so many great places so it's no surprise then that this is a long haul feature-length episode and I can't wait for you to hear it from Anguilla and Mexico to Bermuda and Puglia speaking to me from New York City here are the travel diaries of Travel and Leisure's editor-in-chief Jackie Gifford. Jackie Gifford, welcome to The Travel Diaries. Thank you so much for joining me today. All the way from New York, how are you? I am so well. Thank you for having me.
1: I think, look, in this new world of virtual everything, it's kind of brilliant to be able to connect with people and talk to them. And I find I'm actually talking to new friends like I never have before. So thank you again for having me.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure. It's a a real honor to get to to chat to you. Thank you.
1: Oh, I'm so thrilled. You know, Next Year Travel and Leisure celebrates its 50th anniversary, which I find pretty amazing. And we're a brand that continues to change and evolve and grow as we look to Instagram and now TikTok and all these other amazing ways to reach people. So look, um, I'm really proud of our brand and everybody who works
0: for us. So I don't want to dwell too long on covid because frankly we've all we've all had a, enough of it really but tell me about it <laughs> so you're based in new york city yeah. and you edit a travel yeah. magazine so yeah how have the last few months been for you
1: uh they've been challenging you know i would never try to try to uh, minimize the disruption or sadness that has occurred because of this virus i moved my team to work remotely in the middle of march we worked downtown in the financial district and Mm -hmm. you know it really caught frankly it caught me by surprise all of a sudden it was everything just escalated i'd say that first two weeks of march and travel restrictions started happening and we moved everybody to work from home made sure people were healthy. And the good news is we have now closed uh, our fifth, sorry, sixth magazine up from afar. And I just am amazed by the resilience of the travel industry. My team, we had to come up with an editorial strategy that really felt solid and, and true. And I think what we're doing is we're still running some of the content that we had commissioned before, the coronavirus. And that's really because, look, people often take two, three years to plan a trip. So they're thinking ahead and they will be able to travel someday. And then we're also speaking to this new world of travel. Like I just mentioned the world of virtual travel. We did a great piece in that first issue that came out about museums, how to visit museums from wherever you are, from the comfort of your home. And I think ultimately our readers are very forgiving. They know that when you close a magazine, things change but they they still dream about the future and then with our website and on Instagram we're just keeping the dream alive and also providing up-to-the-minute news and letting people know what is happening in the world of travel whether it's airlines or cruise lines and and you know border closures and that is sort of uh, you know feeding the actual news the news content and making sure that people know because you know in the United States they are traveling we're traveling within our home states we're sometimes traveling to different different... different states if you know people are doing a lot of road trips this summer so i think what we're, we're doing right now is just making sure people feel inspired and hopeful because they, they come to travel and leisure to dream. They don't come to us for, I'd say, the hard news and mm-hmm. frankly, the sad news. Um, but New York is resilient. I'm a New Yorker. It's my tag on my Instagram handle. I believe in New York City. Mm-hmm. I get very defensive and protective of my home city because you know it, it, it was, um, was a very challenging time for us that for those of us who stayed, I stayed and didn't leave. Uh, and you know that we had amazing healthcare workers, frontline workers just keeping the city going. So frankly, I, I believe in New York. You never want to count New York out. I believe in London. I believe in all of our major cities. We shouldn't mm. we shouldn't um, be afraid of them because they're beautiful places.
0: And I saw that you took your first staycation relatively recently I think it was the same weekend that I took my first staycation I went just outside of London to the Cotswolds which is about an hour and a half from there which is a gorgeous a gorgeous place to have a little staycation and dip my toe in the water of seeing what hospitality is like in the new normal and for me it was a really pleasant surprise it didn't feel too different I didn't feel that it was too much of a shock to the system in fact I almost forgot that we were in a pandemic in a way how how was your experience I felt I felt the same I
1: felt well it reaffirmed my faith in travel and that we can do things right again New York State was one of the hardest it was the first and hardest hit state so yeah, of course, but, yeah. we, but we pulled it together and, and the infection rates are now some of the lowest in the country and what we what I did So my husband is from Long Island um, and you know we Long Island is obviously so close to Manhattan we drove we didn't bring our son to the hotel we didn't want to have to really worry about that but it was a very small hotel 15 rooms every Everybody wore masks. Then I'm talking about the guests and the people who work there. Um, they had sanitizing stations everywhere. They for hands. They had uh, the tables all spaced out appropriately. We were blessed with great weather, so we were able to sit outside. You know, you could bring a bottle of wine and sit on some chairs and take your mask off to enjoy the wine they had a chef come and cook uh, dinners for some uh, on the grill for some of the guests so it, it wasn't like a formal restaurant experience but you could have a meal outdoors and again all the tables were spaced out and they had these amazing things called you pang sterilizers I keep talking about them there are these machines that frankly you can throw your remote control keys even your phone in there and it kills any you know virus particles uh, on, on the surface wow. and Every room had one, so I think there was a benefit in that. And every room had its own entrance. There was a benefit in that it was a small hotel. It, you know, I felt like it was it, there was a lot that we were doing outdoors, and we walked to the beach uh, for for beach days. So it helps to be outdoors. And I'm I'm looking to do my first stay in Manhattan in the ne- in the coming weeks, and I'm going to report on that. You know, I think. I think we have to remember that we're journalists and, and the world of travel is opening and it is our responsibility to communicate to our readers what that's like. And so, you know, I'm not saying I'm throwing myself out there as a Guinea pig. I am choosing places that I believe are doing things right. And then trying to see what the experience is like so we can inform our audience because that, that is our responsibility now as a travel brand is to be truthful and tell people what, what, protocols are now in place. And, and frankly, you know, that is, that is one of the hardest things I find right now about this job is that there's no consistent through line, right? So wherever you are in the world, wherever you may be, you know, the virus has changed destinations in different ways. So as we look to sort of educate our audience, we have to really be thoughtful and careful. And so we're doing the best we can.
0: Yeah. Well, listen, I can't wait to hear all about your travel diaries because really you've had a truly international life having lived all over the world.
1: Yeah, I have. I was born in Japan. I lived in Saudi Arabia, Qatar. I lived in the United States for for some of my earliest years in in the Philadelphia area in Bucks County. And my parents now live in Philadelphia, so we often go back. But um, I lived in Japan twice, actually. So we were able to travel to places. As a family, when when travel really to, to, I would say, Asia to Africa certainly was not really in the cards for, for many Americans because it was so far away. So my mother was always of the mindset to travel, to take advantage of our location. So when we lived in Saudi Arabia, we were able to go to the Maldives. And that's crazy to even say, but we went in 1983. Wow. We went to Kenya. We When we lived in Japan, you know, my parents often would take us to, to Hong Kong and we did Thailand and my mom and dad went diving in Palau. We went to, they, she actually visited China. One of the first, she was, you know, back then really nobody was visiting China. Um, certainly not, you know, for a leisure travel standpoint, from a leisure travel travel standpoint. So she went uh, as, by herself and, you know, they were really adventurous because they always knew, you know, the United States will be, will be there. You will spend, you will likely spend most of your adult life in the United States. And she's, they were right. And I think now it's actually really fascinating to think about it because, you know, being here in the United States and not having the freedom to, to jump on a plane like I used to, I I am staying in the United States and I'm looking at, I'm looking at all the places I can go close to home Mm-hmm. Uh, with fresh eyes, which is which is great. Uh and, and as then I as, really. as we all are. Yeah. And then I'm I'm also feeling fortunate that that I was able to see so many amazing places when, when I lived over there and then through my job. So I think you have to you, you have to adapt to, to the times and the era and right now, you know, it's 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 close to home and, and you just appreciate the beauty in that.
0: So let's get started with chapter one of your travel diaries. That is your earliest childhood travel memory. Sounds like you had a lot of wonderful experiences at a young age. So what sticks out? You know, I did.
1: And I, I think, you know, I have snippets of little f- things. I, I have to say if there's one sort of place that, that really... I, I hold on to as a childhood travel memory, it's probably Kauai, uh, the island of Kauai or, and just Hawaii as a state. And, and that that's for a variety of reasons. You know, we, when we lived in Japan, we would often go to Hawaii as a stopover on our way home, um, to, to the East coast and, and Hawaii you know, it's America, but it's not, it's so it's all the things that we that we uh, that people say it is, it's the culture is fascinating, the people are, um, you know, very warm. And, and it's, it's when you're there, you feel like, you know, time slows down in a really beautiful way. And we would, for whatever reason, you know, all the Hawaiian islands have different feel of a different feel or vibe. And my mother really loved Kauai. She felt it's you know, it had a, a different soul, I would say. And it's called the Garden Isle. It's one of the, you know, the lushest, the greenest of the, the the islands. And we would often go to the the South Shore, which is actually the sunniest part um, for vacations, and then take day trips up to the North Shore, which is where they film Jurassic Park. You have those amazing cliffs. It's the, you know, the mount the 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 gorgeous Nepali coast is is part of Kauai. So I think, you know, when I think back to an early childhood memory, it was just packing up our, our rental car with a cooler. We would often, you know, not really stay in hotels, but rent like a, a, a home or something like that and try to stay for several weeks. And we would pack up coolers, make sandwiches, go to the beach, and just bring our own beach towels. You know, obviously, in in Hawaii, all the the beaches there are public, which I think is is really amazing. So you can, you know, any public access beach, we would just go and visit and we would tick off the beaches that we would see um, over the course of the trip. And get to try different restaurants and and I you know and then we go back year after year and I, I I haven't been for a long time and that makes me you know it makes me fond. and and this even talking about it makes me nostalgic for for those simpler times
0: yeah oh it's my favorite Hawaiian island too actually it's just so varied isn't it the the island from one shore to the other it's just so stunning yeah
1: I I love um Waimea Canyon I have a picture of my husband and I so that's an interesting part of it that comes full circle when my husband and I first started dating. I took him to uh, to Kauai. We went on a he had never been and I have a picture of us, you know, we're probably 23, 24 um, uh, standing in, in front of Waimea Canyon and you know, you forget that the, that's the Grand Canyon of of um, the Hawaiian Islands. It's absolutely stunning and I you know, I really uh, I can't wait to get back when it's when it's safe to go.
0: So you mentioned that you lived in Japan twice. You were born in Japan and then you moved back there. I did. Is that right? I did. So it's a hugely popular destination mentioned by my guests on the podcast. Um, One of the all-time favorites that always comes up, mainly I think because it feels like such a culture shock for visitors. It feels so different from what um, my primarily British guests are used to. Um, is that how, how you describe it when you... I think so. ...for new visitors? Yeah, I think there's a...
1: Well, you know, when, we, when, when I talk about Japan, I think oftentimes people, there's Tokyo and then there's the rest of Japan too, right? So it's like, you know, the, the sort of the urban the the stimulation of tokyo is something else right i've never i i lived in tokyo twice and so when we lived there it was um in the early 80s and then the early 90s and you know tokyo is a sprawling sprawling city you for we you know people if you kind of think of manhattan and new york and how concentrated everything is tokyo by contrast it's like it's vast it's a vast city vastly different neighborhoods um and as a, an expat living there, uh, my school was outside the city and it would take us an hour. It was close to an hour and a half on the bus to go each way wow. to get to our school because there, you know, with the the school that I went to the American school, the campus, and that's with traffic, the campus was, you know, very, um, it was, it was, they needed space. And so when you think about Tokyo and how vast it is, that's, that's the one thing that I think is, is so impressive, but also just the sheer, um, the sheer energy and the amount of people that live there and the, you know, the sort of formality of Japanese culture. And when you ride the subway or the Metro and, and, or the train and that all that, like, you know, there's somebody there standing to make sure that people get on safely. And, and, you know, it's just, it's so, and the food and the, um, you know, the, the, the innovation I'd say in terms of, um, You can just do some just fascinating stuff in Tokyo. Um, You know, I remember when I was a kid living there, you know, you could get anything you wanted out of a vending machine. I'm like serious. It's kind of fascinating, but literally anything you could ever want you'd get out of a vending machine. And, and just the, the variety of, uh, travel experiences. I think people are drawn to, um, they're drawn to everything. The Japanese have a system of perfecting. I'd say even, you know, the, the, the most, um, the French, the French, the most French food out there is the croissant, right? The classic croissant. I I can honestly say some of the best croissants I've ever had are at the Peninsula Tokyo Hotel because it, they just it's there's this like way of of artistry. Um, so there's Tokyo, and then I think when you get outside and see rural Japan and of course go to Kyoto for this sort of historic aspect of Japanese culture. People are really again, blown away by the artistry, the attention to detail, the reverence for, uh, I think there's a really deep reverence for elders and tradition, which mm. people enjoy there when they visit. Um, I, I, I love Japan. My last trip there was in 2015, and it had been a long time since I had gone. And I was pleasantly surprised to find that it was still just as fascinating as it had always been. Um, um, and yeah, people, people, people will, always, um, will always enjoy uh, the cultural aspects of Japan and just being, you know, learning. I think the person who goes has a real deep appreciation of learning and, and isn't going to just sit on a beach. And that's just a different kind of trip.
0: Outside of the tourist hotspots, Tokyo and Kyoto, is there a place that you'd say that is a must visit spot for a travel in Japan, big or small, just um, outside of those two main destinations?
1: Yeah, I think people are, well, you know, we had actually, we had actually been looking at different, different, you know, trips, I think people end up going to Tokyo and Kyoto for like their first visit. And then they go back um, and do another um, and do another trip and do something interesting. Um, I've actually never been, but I've always wanted to go to um, Okinawa and experience. I talk about saying not going to a beach destination, but um, the Island, the islands there and some of the, The resort experiences uh i think i think people would be pleasantly surprised to in i I don't think it's a first time visitors trip to japan but um but understanding the culture there i think is really important um i also think people uh is that a
0: coastal resort it's
1: a yeah coastal resorts um island different island groups you know it's far it's far because it's the far it's farther south um and people um you know, people have to fly first into Tokyo and then take another plane, but I think people would be interested in, in experiencing that. Um again, it's not a maybe a first time visit to Japan. I think Setouchi, that that area, um, the and the Seto Inland Sea, I think that's another interesting part of Japan. There's a big contemporary art festival that's held there, uh, mm-hmm. which which attracts visitors. Also I think in general when people visit Japan they think of cherry blossom season in the spring, but also the the fall is really beautiful. Uh, there's just, you know, the the leaves, the autumnal leaves. We did a, a story that we ran in our March issue that focused on, uh, it was, you know, Tokyo, Kyoto, and then the area around, there was a glamping retreat from Hoshinoya hotels that opened near Mount Fuji. It was absolutely beautiful because we shot it in the fall, and the reds and the yellows and the golds were just um absolutely spectacular i think also people go skiing in japan and and people might not realize that but you know the niseko area is a big is big for ski for ski resorts ski hotels and also hot springs so look there's um there's a lot of there's a lot of places to go it's a it's a big country
0: yeah there's so much to see Want
2: flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company. They offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: just like I do. Whether you choose to rent out your entire space or just a spare room, it's up to you. I list my spare bedroom and it's been a fantastic experience, both financially rewarding and a great way to connect with new people. So if you're planning your own summer getaway or any trip for that matter, consider putting your home on Airbnb. It's a fantastic way to earn extra income that can go towards your travel expenses, souvenirs, or even that special treat you've been eyeing. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.co.uk forward slash host. Thank you to Airbnb for supporting the Travel Diaries and you moved then from Japan to Saudi Arabia is that right? I did I lived in Saudi Arabia when I was very very young um, in the early 80s. So that's a destination that's put a lot of money behind uh, driving tourism in the last couple of years I've noticed. Is it a place that you could ever see yourself covering the magazine or or that you would think would be of interest to tourists or is it just too ethically contentious where, where do you kind of stand on it that's a good question it's funny because we ta- we're we talking about this the second time this week that I've talked about it this very
1: topic really? I think it's very <laughs> uh look there's a lot um well with travel being what it is right now I don't know if we'll have to really go there at, at some point soon but um I I think there there isn't ethics issue at hand we all you know let's let's be clear uh i also think that when when you visit destinations sometimes that is the only way forward if there's cross-cultural exchange that can actually end up being a net positive um, and mm. you know for our for our brand and where we stand when it comes to travel, it's very hard to, um, say I'm only going to support places where I agree with the government. I mean, that's, that's the reality. Governments change, things change. Uh, I don't, you know, we have to, um, always look at things with an open mind. Um, there's no doubt that Saudi Arabia has, has, has issues. Um, but, but I also think there's another, there's another side of the story in that, you know, when you actually talk to people on the ground, there's a very different perception. Um, there's a, you know, that, that is really what travel is about. It's not about the average traveler talking to government leaders. It's about meeting people on the ground. And, and so, so I'm, I'm looking at things with clear eyes, but I'm also trying to look at them with hopeful eyes, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, the campaigns that have been running here suggest that they have a c- kind of Grand Canyon esque canyon that mm-hmm. is um quite spectacular. Do you do you have any memories of travelling around there?
1: I don't have any memories of travelling around there. I mean, so when we lived in in um in Saudi, we lived in a place called Yanbu. It was a you know it was because of my father's work. So you know, you lived on a relatively contained compound, but you know, my mom would go to. Um, would go to Jeddah or Riyadh. And, uh, and there were, I actually posted a picture on Instagram of us there many years ago. She shared some pictures of me of the old town of, of, um, of Jeddah and sort of what it looked like. And I think what, what was actually very interesting is when we lived there, um, it wasn't quite as conservative as it is now. She obviously couldn't drive, but there were um, women had a little bit more freedom, at least as a Westerner, she did. Um, But uh, as a, and as a resident, as a visitor, then I would say things, then things changed uh, over the course of, over the next 20 years. Um, I do remember going to the Red Sea for, um, to, to experience the beach. I have some pictures of us there and to go fishing and to go swimming. And there was more, there was actually a really kind of beautiful way of life in that things were very simple. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you, could go shopping and, you know, and not have 20 million choices of things. And it was like, okay, this is the kind of cereal we're buying. Cause this is what's available or, uh, y- you know, the, the entertainment was just seeing friends in a very sort of, um, you know, in backyards. And that was that. And I think, and TV was very limited. So I know that that sounds strange. You know, now when you have the a choice of everything, uh, it, you sort of realize how little you actually really do need.
0: Um, it's similar in a way to lockdown like yeah shed all the excess and life has become a lot more streamlined in a way,
1: yeah, you don't need a lot. and I think that was sort of the the thing that my mother and father got out of that experience other than obviously making new friends and, and experiencing, you know, life in another country and meeting and meeting Saudis and making friends with them. But it it was the sort of the understanding that, you know, in America, we're actually blessed to have so much choice, um, obviously freedom of expression. And it's a very different culture, but but the flip side is is actually sometimes there can be too much of that. And so when, when we were there, we, we kind of stripped it down to basics. And I was really little, but, you know, I learned how to swim. I learned how to read. We had great, I had great teachers. And uh, I felt, you know, I, as a child, I, d- I didn't lack for anything. Uh, it just was a different life.
0: Mm. it'll be interesting to see how how it evolves in the next few years when it comes to tourism.
1: yeah I, I I am I'm curious to see how how it evolves too and I think look again you try to come at things with an open heart and an open mind I think having lived in Saudi Arabia and then Qatar uh people in that part of that world are incredibly friendly incredibly generous and I I wish that more Americans were able to visit and experience it
0: mm Mm. So moving on to chapter two, that is the first place that you fell in love with. Where would that be?
1: The first place I fell in love with? That's a really good question. I
0: would probably
1: say Ireland. Mm-hmm. I've been to Ireland now six or seven times and i that's where I got married. And, you know, there's a, there's a beauty to Ireland that I think, uh, you know, you can't underestimate how again friendly the people are the greenery i don't mind the rain uh, I, I think i think at the end of the day you go to ireland for for the people to stay up late in a pub to to you know see this magnificent scenery and understand that you know there's a very strong if you're american there's a very strong connection for a lot of us, uh, whose ancestors came from Ireland. So Mm -hmm. when you go, you, you know, you, there's oftentimes a a heritage travel component, which, which, you know, up until now was a really big and booming part of the travel industry. So for for me, you know, my grandmother was born there, not, you know, not that long ago in the grand scheme. She was born in 1908. So I think a lot of times people go to sort of reconnect with their past. And at the same time, there's a lot of innovation and interesting things always happening in Dublin and and you know there's there's a great there's a great how do I put this there's a great sort of culture of life in to Ireland um, people look mm-hmm. at things
0: um,
1: they're relentlessly optimistic and positive
0: yes yeah and what part of Ireland did you get married in I got married on the west coast uh, so that's wow.
1: where my my grandmother was from. Um, we got married at a hotel near, um, Galway and it was, uh, it was great. We had lots of friends fly in from the United States and they made trips out of it and they stayed in Ireland for quite some time. And I think they all came away feeling just thrilled that they were able to go. And, you know, for, again, from the East coast, it's actually not that even that long of a flight, It's about the same distance as if you were flying to California and sometimes even less if the tailwinds are in your favor. So for us to do uh, a wedding in Ireland, although it seems sort of like, wow, it's international, it really, in a way, was, uh, was actually pretty easy and accessible.
0: Well, if Jackie's tempted you to visit the west coast of Ireland, one of the most magnificent places to stay there is Adair Manor. Picture a grand neo-gothic castle in County Limerick on a sprawling 840-acre estate surrounded by medieval ruins, walled gardens and winding woodland paths, with a championship golf course, lamer spa and Michelin star restaurant too. It's the ultimate romantic escape, perfect for a staycation moon or in fact just any honeymoon with its horse and carriage rides, wild river cruises, intimate cellar wine tastings and just a total abundance of luxury at every corner. And they're now taking bookings for Christmas, a three night special itinerary of celebrations with whiskey tastings, extravagant dinners and even a chauffeur service to the beautiful Adair Church to sing some carols. Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Head over to com to find out more and book your stay. Now, let's get back to Jackie Gifford. As an editor, has there been a particular feature written by one of your contributors that made you fall in love with a destination that you hadn't been to and then made you decide to book a trip to go there?
1: Oh, good question.
0: Yeah, I mean, that happens
1: pretty regularly for me. I I find that I'll read a story and just go, oh my gosh, like I need to go. I would say this happened years ago, but uh, a longtime contributor to travel and leisure Maria Schallenbarger had written a story about Morocco and some of the desert camps there. And I then promptly booked a trip to go to, to, to go to Morocco within the next, I'd say like, you know, nine to 10 months, a year. Um, I just started a travel and leisure. And I, I remember reading Maria's piece and just being like, you know, Morocco's always been on my list. I need to see it. And I I went with my husband, we stayed in Marrakesh, we went to a beautiful hotel outside the city, uh, outside in that you know, in near that called Dar Ahlam, which is a a relay chateau property where the, the owner who's now, you know, quite he's created some really interesting concepts including a roving hotel around the world um, oh yeah his name is Terry yeah. yeah so Terry had created um, this other I believe it's called 700,000 hours um, but it this roving hotel but he's his one of his first projects with Darlam and they'll create these dinner setups for you uh, in the middle of you know in the middle of the desert in the middle of nowhere and every night when you stay there breakfast, lunch and dinner is always in a different location. And it's just like a it's like theater. And it was so interesting, because the hotel is just in the middle of nowhere, frankly. And we drove mm-hmm. to get there and through a snowstorm. And uh, it was through a pass in the Atlas Mountains. And when we got when we got to the hotel, it was just it was just so special. And I think that was a good example of just dreaming about a place and and saving up for it, you know, saving up for the trip because it wasn't inexpensive and deciding to go. And I was completely and I wasn't, you know, at that time, I wasn't the editor in chief of travel and leisure, but but I but I read a story and felt like I had to go and take action on it.
0: The power of great travel journalism. Yeah. So chapter four is your all time favorite destination, which feels especially relevant given the August issue is your famous world's best awards edition my favorite issue of the year so I thought maybe let's start with some of your world's best and then talk about some of the results that were in the magazine sure I'm gonna ask your all-time favorite your all-time favorite city and then your all-time favorite hotel okay
1: uh all-time favorite city is probably Paris, I think that that's a safe choice. I love Paris. Paris. Uh, my husband and I went there on our honeymoon. I think it's magical for all the reasons we we know it to be: uh, food, wine, museums, culture, shopping, fashion. Uh, you know the the walkability, the architecture, the sort of you know, there's, there's not, there's really no reason not to like Paris. Um, I've had some great nights there, staying up late, walking home, um, stayed at amazing hotels like the Maurice or the Shangri-La, or um, the Park Hyatt, just, you know, some of these grand hotels, uh, we we were lucky enough to stay in the Maurice once where we had a beautiful room. And it just felt like we were living a bit of history. And, you know, you walk outside and there are the Tuileries. Um, so yeah, I would say Paris. Mm-hmm. And my all time favorite hotel. So I get asked this quite a lot. And it's really hard to give an answer. I have to be honest, because there are so many great ones. And there's I have to say there's like a, you know, there's a hotel for every time in somebody's life as well. Of course. Yeah. So I think, you know, when you look back over the history of like where I've traveled, when I think about where I've traveled and where I've gone, it's the answer never never, um, you know, it's always, it's ever changing for me. So. If I had to say an all-time favorite hotel, and then I get myself in trouble because then people study these things. Well, I'll say this: so last year we stayed at Borgo Ignazia in Puglia with my son,
0: oh, and oh, I've always wanted to go there.
1: Uh, the owner Aldo Melpignano is just the kindest man alive, and you know Borgo is a is a fantasy of an Italian village uh, come to life, and it does feel in a way like theater in a good way it is it is so everything is immaculate the food is incredible the service is incredible the 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 sort of guest overall guest experience of being in Puglia you know they really the family has really put they put Puglia on the map for tourism because they were the ones who opened Masseria San Domenico many years ago and you know for my son who's who's still young it was just so amazing how attentive they were to children. The Italians in general really love children. And so I think um, it was, it was a great experience for us as a family. And I felt Mm. really, you know, lucky that we were able to go last year. The other hotel I will say, sorry, if I'm, yeah, I can have two. Is the Gritty Palace in Venice, just because it's, you know, it's, it's a piece of history. The, 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 art on the walls, the marble, the bar outside, you know, that overlooks the Grand Canal. I would say that those two Italian experiences are probably um, at the top of my list of
0: hotels. Gorgeous. And then I've got to push you for an all-time favorite overall destination too.
1: Ooh, uh, well, Italy is certainly up there. I think, yeah. you know, we've we've as a family been going to Bermuda pretty regularly for the past three to four years, and it's very close to the East Coast. Uh, You know, from New York, it's about a two-hour flight, 90 minutes if you're lucky. And I think for us to feel – you feel at ease there in a really interesting way because it's so close. You land. The airport's – they're building a new airport for now. The airport, you know, it's small. You get outside right away, and you're outdoors, and you cross this causeway to go through the the main island, and it's like, you know, you've landed in another – on another planet. Um, The water is this amazing blue. The beaches are absolutely stunning. Um, You know, my son learned to swim really in the ocean there. And I think the people are extraordinarily um, kind and generous of spirit. So I I think Bermuda is probably one of our favorite places to go as a family.
0: And there's a heritage and a history there that people might not necessarily know. It's not that um, well known and popular for UK travellers i'd say which is
1: surprising
0: yeah because it feels so british that's what's so amazing i um i i don't know how how well you know um english shops but there's a marks and spencers there
1: hmm.
0: um which which i when we were there i i found to be so amusing and lovely in a way that there was this little m&s well it, marks and sparks as we like to call it so you know it's got this real english um heritage to it doesn't it that um permeates throughout the island it isn't just caribbean in its feel. yeah i know it is no there's
1: the british heritage is strong so you know a lot of places still do tea and there's um there is a there is a bit of a formality to the the culture but but i but i think as a visitor it's kind of i mean that's that's it is what it is you go there for that um and i i i love going to bermuda just to to chill out. I feel like when we go, we end up, we end up having lovely dinners with friends and the pressure to just be another person falls away, which I think is another great side of uh, uh, travel. You know, sometimes you, you, you go to just not to, to really forget about your other life and, and have a break. And, and I think that's kind of why we've, we've all fallen in love with Bermuda.
0: Mm. And so the world's, the world's best edition of the mag. Can you first of all just tell us a bit about what they what what it is, how how the list is decided? Um, so it's a reader survey. So um,
1: the readers vote on everything from their favorite hotels to islands, cities, cruise lines, tour operators. It's a very comprehensive survey of the best in travel, and we usually go live with the survey in around the first or second week of November, and it stays open through the beginning of March. And the when the results come in, it's it just a snapshot of what's trending in travel. And I think, you know, this year we did our 25th anniversary of World's Best, and it was it was really impressive because the survey closed, I would say, when people, you know, people were just starting to get a handle on the coronavirus in the West. And it was, you know, things were shutting down and people just were unclear of what the world was going to look like, what travel was going to look like. So I, you know, I, but I felt very strongly about, um, Moving forward with it because because we need to we knew you know again you know in in your heart you know with the spirit of travel is still alive and we needed to recognize and honor all those travel providers that had done amazing work you know just because yeah, of, of course the, the and you want to dream yeah you want to dream and the virus doesn't negate all that work that they did so when we got the results in we we said you know. we need to move forward. And our August issue, again, it was the 25th anniversary of world's best. So we moved forward with the piece and we had a resounding, um, you know, really positive, uh, impact I think on the travel industry I got lots of notes from people saying it came at just the right time some hotels were starting to reopen so it was a boost some were still closed Mm -hmm. but it gave their team something to be proud of and look forward to we did uh we did a lot of good work with that story um and I'm really proud of it we hosted I hosted an Instagram live um and I, from my apartment, you know, we normally we do a big party um, and we couldn't do it. Uh, so obviously we we did the best um, that we could. And, and I invited some of our winners on like the Minister of Tourism for Anguilla. And he came on Instagram live with me. I had... The, the GM from the Mark Hotel right here in New York City. They went for the best hotel in New York, and then in the Continental United States, they came on um, Instagram Live with me, and it was really fun. I have to say, you know, we were are improvising like the best of them, yeah. Um, and it was it was a really great moment, I think, for the travel industry. The travel industry really needed it.
0: Yeah, exactly. They needed it that bit of positivity. Yeah, I was really interested that. The number one and number two cities were both in Mexico. Number one was Oaxaca, mm-hmm. number two, San Miguel de Allende. Mexico is obviously incredibly popular with your readers.
1: Yes, it is. I mean, look, let's be honest, it's close to home. It's always been one of the, the more popular destinations. Europe is is... Is, has also always been a, a popular destination for our readers, really the number one, but but followed closely by Mexico because you have to remember Mexico is so culturally diverse. Every state has a different offering and, you know, Oaxaca is really known for its its food, its arts and crafts, and I think we're seeing a lot of people really love to travel for food. That was something that had been trending for a little bit, and then San Miguel is, is you know, it's a jewel box of a city, the colonial Uh, era the Spanish colonial architecture mixed with um, you know the the indigenous culture and and now really a thriving art scene it's really it's been it's been popular for quite some time so I was never surprised San Miguel had actually won for the past few years as the best city in the world and I was never surprised by that it's just this year Oaxaca Overtook them by a few, you know, percentage points. But I think, interestingly, you know, that that's probably because of um, because of the food culture and people. I think were really passionate about food and travel. Um, so. Every year, you know, and then I've 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 been at travel and leisure when Charleston, South Carolina, won for the best city in the world, and I've been there when Kyoto has won for the best city in the world, and you know things change. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's but but I do see a through line. Last year it was um, it was Hoi. Uh, then one year it was uh, Hoi An too. So you know people people like they like cities with well-rounded experiences for mm-hmm. for for them and i and i mean that when you think about it you don't just go there for one thing they're going for art culture shopping uh you know the hotel scene you know sometimes it could be again a, a gastronomic capital so uh i also think there's there's something to be said a lot of these cities are actually very affordable to visit and they're closer to home mm-hmm. so it you know you 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 take what you can and you you glean glean from the results what you will
0: yeah well, I've added both of those to my travel wish list. Not been to Mexico yet, looking forward to going yeah. sometime when we're able to travel again, just so much to see, as you say. You could yeah. go back multiple times, I'm sure.
1: Exactly.
0: So let's move on to chapter five. That is your hidden gem, a place that you love that maybe our listeners don't know that much about.
1: Well, I'll I'll do another shout out for World's Best. Because I still think it's hidden in the grand scheme of things. It's the island of Anguilla in the Caribbean. So a lot of people, um, they, you know, they're, they're in the Caribbean when you travel, if you've got to take multiple flights or connections, it's tricky. And so a lot of people Mm -hmm. are just turned off by that, and they don't want to do it. So Anguilla, there was never a direct flight from the United States. And so oftentimes, you'd fly to Puerto Rico and connect or St. Martin and connect and take a and take a a ferry. I've been going there since 2007. And I think the beaches, there are some of the best on the planet. They have 33 beaches, absolutely stunning. The, The visitor experience is just, you know, you really feel like you're secluded, isolated, tucked away from the rest of the world. It's never been a super touristy place. And I think what makes Anguilla so beautiful is it's very easy to get around. You get there, you rent a car, you drive to your beaches, you try the local restaurants. There's something really amazing about the warmth of spirit there. And I, I, I like it because not that many people go. Uh, The other great thing about it is it, but it does win in our world's best award. So clearly you know, the in-the-know travelers know about Anguilla, but I think, you know, it's never just because of its size and the amount of hotels or, you know, accommodations they have, it's never going to reach a a mass tourism, uh, you know, standard because it just, it just can't. But I think, you know, a lot of people I mentioned Anguilla and they're like, Oh yeah, I know, I know Anguilla. That's you know, I've always wanted to go there. It's, it's yeah. beautiful. So, so
0: that's one and of the beautiful my, hotels and though. beautiful
1: hotels, you know, Belmont Luca. there's an amazing Four Seasons there which which you know actually was originally a viceroy now that Four Seasons took it over. They really they really made it a beautiful product and um you know, Mali Ohana has a long heritage. There's mm. a great hotel called Zemi Beach House, which is up more on the northern end of the island. I think there's the people who go to Anguilla regularly really appreciate it and really and really love that that, that they can go and again feel. Like they're, they're not being watched or it's just sort of like a, you know, there's no, there's no scene there. It's, I love St. Bart's, but there's a scene there like where you're, everybody's kind of watching each other and I eyeing each other up to see what they're wearing. That's not Anguilla.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, it's, which, it's more easygoing.
1: I, yeah. I, you know, and I love St. Bart's and I, I've been multiple times and you go for that reason sometimes, but in, but in Anguilla, you just don't have that vibe.
0: Oh, that sounds lovely. Oh, I used to be somewhere like that right now. Yeah. In contrast then, chapter 6 is the place that you would never go back to.
1: The place I would never go back to. Oh my gosh. That's a tough question. I don't know if I'd ever say that about one place. I, I guess in my heart of hearts, I never want to I want to give places second chances. At, at the end of the day, you know, ultimately, if a place if you have a disappointing experience, maybe you might feel you know, down the road, it might, it might get better. Um, but you know, I went to, it's funny you say that I went to years ago, I was stopping on a, on a a destination. I was doing a cruise in the Baltic and we stopped in Latvia and Riga and it was okay. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I, after I left, I was like, I'm, you know, I'm not going to rush to get back there. And then I see that and I, ha- I actually commissioned a story on Latvia by a brilliant writer and um, Boris Fishman when I was at Travel and Leisure. And I go, okay, well, maybe I should, you know, based upon this piece, give it a second, sh- give it a second chance. Um, mm. Because I think I had visited probably too soon and it was still, you know, there, there still wasn't this groundswell of creativity that he was able to tap into. So, uh, yeah, I guess like that was, that was one place where I left being like, I don't know if I ever need to go back. And then, and then I read this piece and I was like, well, you know, I, I never want to say never.
0: Yeah, yeah. And places, as you say, they evolve so quickly sometimes that your experience when you return could just be completely and utterly different. Totally. That's it. So we're on to the final chapter of your travel diaries. And that is chapter seven, which is the destination that is at the top of your travel bucket list.
1: Um, I think right now, and this is inspired by a story that we ran in our June issue, it would probably be Rwanda because I really want to go to see the gorillas, um, the mountain gorillas and, and, yeah, that's been on my list for some time. Akagera National Park, you know, there's there's now been um, they've now successfully reintroduced the big five um, into some of the different parks there, and so I think Rwanda and also Kigali. I don't want to I don't want to discount Kigali because it's a thriving city and obviously been through trauma uh, in the nineties, but but I think people have come together in this very incredible way, uh, you know, literally, um, healed wounds from, from the wars. And I think anybody who goes as an outsider is always really moved by, by that story, by that, um, experience and really feels like, you know, they come, they come out of it, um, a changed person. Mm. The other, the other place I guess I would, I, I'd want to say I'd like to go, um, is, um, you know, I love India. India's one of my favorite places. And I've always wanted to do, um, I've always wanted to do Kerala and Goa and frankly, all these other incredible places in India. India is so vast. So I, just to go back to India or to go to Varanasi, that's been on my list as well. Um, I think Mm. when I can get back to India, as soon as I can get back, I'm going to add that, you know, that's, that's always on my list. It's always at the top of my list.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me today, Jackie. It's been such a pleasure. Those were your travel diaries. Thank you. This is so fun. Thank you so much. That was Travel and Leisure's Jackie Gifford. Oh, I really hope you enjoyed all those wonderful destinations that she picked for her travel diaries. Travel and Leisure's new September issue honors the beauty of food and travel and is out now. If you can't get hold of a print copy, I always read it on my iPad. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then please do subscribe, rate and review. I'd love to hear from you. And come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Holly Rubenstein. Catch you next time for another episode of The Travel Diaries. Today's episode is supported by Airbnb. It has been a long old winter here in the UK and in between podcast seasons I'm going to take a little bit of downtime to seek out some warmth. I'm jetting off to the Greek island of Mykonos visiting some places that have been on my bucket list and while I'm hopefully soaking up some Mediterranean sun my home will be hosting guests from airbnb.co.uk forward slash host thank you to airbnb for supporting the travel diaries flexibility is great that's why there's yoga
2: flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too that's why there's united healthcare insurance plans